Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of Agile marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance, so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Frank Days, and along with Jim Ewell, we will be your hosts for today's episode, The Practical Realities of Agile Marketing with Anthony Coppage of IBM. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. It's always fun to talk Agile with you two guys. Well, in this episode, we'll be talking with with Anthony about the tangible issues and challenges of employing Agile marketing in an organization like IBM. Well, let's get started. Well, Anthony, each of us have had our own unique roads that have led us to to Agile. What what led you to Agile marketing? Yeah, an accident um, was the answer to that. I didn't intend to go down that road. I found myself in it, Jim. And for me, it started in 2009. I had seen marketing had always been kind of, uh, I would describe it as as hair on fire, right? Interrupt driven, reactive, you got to work with sales, you got to respond to the market. It was, it always felt chaotic. At the first SaaS company I worked at, they they had a development room where all the software developers worked and they were using Scrum and a 60 foot wide, tit fun tall magnetic whiteboard with all these index cards. It was very clean and organized. And I wanted their clarity and their focus and their organization and marketing so it didn't feel like hair on fire all the time. So I learned Scrum first, and then I learned about Agile, and then Lean, Six Sigma, Kanban, Toyota Production System, later Safe, Less, and Dad. So that all taught me something. My learned and earned experiences informed me that the model of Agile, based on principles and values, was actually the most transferable and the least likely to be fragile. It was the least likely to break by trying to implement it exactly the same everywhere. And so I leaned into principles and values of Agile, and I really like the language of the manifesto of we value this over that, not this, but not that, not this instead of that, it's this over that, which leaves room for the fact that you're going to have to do some things that aren't necessarily what you prefer, but but you're going to prioritize the thing that actually delivers a better outcome over the things that are just output oriented, for example. So I've been applying an agile mindset to marketing since that time in 2009 and then added sales to it in 2019. So agile sales is actually also part of my scope and and understanding. Can you share how you get buy-in from marketers, sales, and uh, executive leadership for agile marketing? Yes, sure, Frank. I mean, here's my question. Who doesn't want clarity with alignment? That's a win with another win. I mean, there's not a downside to that. So marketers, sellers, executives, managers, they all value the ability to prioritize what works and either reduce, eliminate, or at least learn from what's not working. Those are shared values. So when we start with the end in mind, where the end is not what's in it for the company, but how does our company benefit because we first benefited our clients? So No matter your role, in marketing, we're trying to figure out how do we create awareness? How do we create interest? How do we drive engagement? How do we help with a marketing qualified process for an MQL to get to a sales qualified lead SQL? You're still focusing on what's in it for them, not what's in it for you, if you're doing it right. And then from there, marketing gets a, a marketing sense to sales, a sales qualified lead. And now sales sees somebody who we're trying to understand what's in it for them. What's their pain point or what's their opportunity? Which by the way, it's only two reasons people buy. That's it. Either it's a it's an opportunity to do something new or different or better, or it solves a pain. 
So once you identify that and you're focused on what's in it for them, that really makes it easy to say, well, then what would it take to align our effort so that we benefit them? If I benefit them consistently well enough, often enough, and assuming we're fairly priced and have a reasonably good product or service in the market, we win. Like profit's the byproduct. Revenue is the byproduct of really good agility. So what I want to do is say, how do we learn faster? How do we learn better? How do we incorporate feedback loops? There are only two ways to improve. There's increase upside or decrease downside. And marketers benefit from most from stopping the stupid, right? Which means the executives removing impediments and correcting the issues is probably the best way to make that happen. Everybody's still involved, but it's just the level of involvement and where we put that focus, Frank. Anthony, we, we focused this podcast on the practical realities of, of doing mm-hmm. this. And we all know that sales guys are cash register driven, as I would put it. You know, they are focused on their revenue targets. How do you balance out pleasing the customer and customer centricity with that need to help salespeople hit their targets? It's a partnership. So it's not sales and marketing, or it's not marketing and sales. It's marketing with sales. It's sales with marketing. You can have the delineation inside your organization to have an agile marketing organization and an agile sales organization. Sure. And they can have their own P&Ls. They can have their own structures and all that. But if they're not in constant communication so that they can coordinate, so that collaboration can happen, you can never really leverage the full value of agility, which is to say, how do we know we're making the right decisions and improving based on the right set of data and doing it frequently and often enough if we're not getting all the data? So there's two types of data. There's the quantitative stuff, the clicks, the page on time on page, the you know conversion rates, et cetera. But then sales is also looking at metrics too. How do we take those metrics and they make them matter together? So if I don't have a shared set of objectives that we're not all aiming for the same desired outcome, our discrete metrics will be different. Our, our key results would be different. But if we don't share that, we're not going to align. And so you'll have marketing in sales and sometimes in a headbutt. And that's why you see this so often, I think, in organizations where marketing sales are at each other's throats, or at least they're not terribly friendly. It's a battle. Marketing's not doing enough to give us leads. If sales would do a better job with the leads, we give them, right? It's all the finger pointing. Well, you you point across an aisle, but you can't point when you're sitting attached at the hip to someone because you're with them. You're pointing at yourself if you do that, right? So what we want to do is make that so obvious that to the client, they can't tell that there's marketing and sales. I I make this joke, but it's true, right? That if someone comes to your website, they are never going to have this thought, you know, what would be really great right now is to have some awesome drip campaign stuff put in front of me so that I could really (laughs) sign up for that. I would love to be nurtured to a point to where then I could talk to a sales partner who will make sure that I'm perfectly qualified to go to a business partner so that I can have the right kind of experience with this product and service. No one does that, but that's that's what we do. Language, absolutely. But but that is exactly what, what the businesses do. We go create those artificial steps those artificial processes but the cut that might be true but dude 
the customer can never feel or know that, right? It needs to be seamless. They're interacting with your brand, not your marketing team, not your sales team, not your business partners, or it's, your, it's the brand. And they don't really care. What they care is, do you care about them? Because they're coming to you because they're trying to solve for something. So if you don't demonstrate that and you make that difficult, they're not likely going to choose you. Well, what surprised you the most uh, during the process of IBM's embrace of agile and marketing? There are probably a few things. One is it was not framework specific. So when I got there, Andrew Burroughs, who I know you've interviewed on this podcast before, friend of mine and former colleague and just a great guy. He, he was really the one who I think helped instill that we're not going to be about frameworks. And I think that was a brilliant move. So rather than say we're Scrum or we're Scrumbon or we're Lean or whatever the terminology is, he said, we're going to be Agile. And what's so cool is that you focus on a coaching mindset over behaviors when you do that. Because if you focus on behaviors of go do this cadence, go follow this pattern, then you're trying to change someone's behaviors. Behavior modification rarely sticks. But if you change someone's mind, the behavior follows. So if you demonstrate what's in it for them and you show them the value of that and you can you can lead with examples, which we'll talk about later, I think that that's a, it's an easier bridge to cross than saying, I need you to stop doing it this way and start doing it this way because I said so. Because we have a label and we slap Agile on it. That's not that's not Agile. That's actually fragile. So that was neat, not framework. And then it was a scaled rollout. So this is, you know, anything, Andrew would say this all the time to me. I'd come up with ideas or, or new tests or we wanted to run or experiments. And he was like, great, does it scale? Because it wasn't enough to be a good idea. It wasn't enough to be able to be able to do something and figure a way out. Like, uh, it, if you couldn't scale it, we probably couldn't use it because we're huge. I mean, IBM is ginormous. So the, the ability to scale for us at an enterprise level was always important. And I saw that the rollout was scaled and there was high buy-in from the CMO down, right? So it, it made a big difference. And at the time I got brought on board, digital sales was under the CMO, was under marketing. So it was a true alignment with sales and marketing uh, for digital sales. So those were those were three things that really worked out. But but I'd be remiss not to say, you know, I I think you have to think differently about it. I think you have to be customer centric. And none of this works if you're not customer centric. So I kind of want to go back a second and say, we, let's talk about the customer centricity part because I personally believe, pure opinion here, that to be truly Agile, for agility to be realized, it has to be customer focused. It has to be what's in it for the customer, not to what's in it for your business. Will your business benefit? Will your teams benefit? Yeah, they should. But we do that because we're really trying to create a value, an outcome for someone else. I mean, I would love to go so far as to say, how would you change your service level agreements or SLAs so that customers don't have to continue paying for something that doesn't provide value or they don't have to stick with a contract or whatever. Like it's the idea of if our SLAs would be geared towards their benefit and their metrics for success, then when they're successful, we're successful and they would never leave because why would you leave what's what's working for you, right? So your retention goes up, your customer um, chance of having someone become a promoter goes up. I just think the shift to being customer-centric is key. And what we did and have done and continue to do is we, we focus on 
business outcomes from the client's perspective. So I took our five, like there's kind of like five basic KPIs for business outcomes and it's all customer centric. So new customer logos, that's, that's brand new people who have never done business with our business before. New customer logo yield, customer satisfaction, customer retention, customer referral, and customer lifetime value. So those are kind of the five big dials that we would look at. And I flipped the metrics away from what do these KPIs mean for our business to what do these KPIs mean for our customers? So let me walk you through that. If we're looking for what was the total number of, of, of leads that we converted into sales that were new logos, new, brand new, never used our business before. That's a good thing to know for our business. But what's more beneficial is of those who connected, what's been their value of being a new customer? And I want to understand that because if the yield for them is high, I'm likely going to have very low, if any, turnover. Plus, it helps me go back to the people that we didn't convert and say, did we qualify them correctly? Because this is what it turns out makes a great customer and what it makes a great experience for them. So it gives us some new insight to how to do a better job the next time around. The next one is customer satisfaction surveys. And typically you're thinking like NPS or something like that, right? Well, an NPS score is useful to a point because it tells you how you rate, but what it doesn't tell you is why is that? So I think you have to do an NPS and then turn right around and go, okay, of the people who scored seven and eights, which is you know the people that you have the greatest likelihood right, to become promoters, right. I go to them and I say, can you help me with what can we do to make your experience even better? Not how do I make you a promoter, right? That's what we want. What's in it for them is how do I make your experience better? Because a seven or eight says it's good, but it's not phenomenal. It's okay, but it's not great. And so yeah. I actually want to follow up and say, what does the NPS mean to them, specifically for the seven and eights? Uh, customer retention. If people value what we're doing and we're demonstrating value and they see the value for their clients and their business, why would they leave? Right. So customer retention becomes a byproduct of customer focus. Then customer referrals. Of that, who the people in the nine tens, those are likely the people we can get better referrals from and have them talk about and then become promoters of our business. And then finally is customer lifetime value, which most companies measure this and they say if 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 a if a customer buys more than one, two, or three products or services over some period of time, the value to our business goes up exponentially or logarithmically to some amount. I flip that and say, what is the value to them from when they first became a customer to where they are now? And how do we help understand that? How do we ask them how much better it's for them? So you see, by taking those five things that a business would normally measure for themselves and you just flip it around for the customer, it creates a whole new way to get away from what do these KPIs mean for our business to what do these KPIs mean for our customers to scale our customer success and our own business. Agile makes other metrics subservient to these high value outcomes. Why? Because when a measurement becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measurement, right? That's Goodhart's law. So our highest value outcomes are all customer centric to ensure, to ensure uh, Frank and Jim, that our effort is aligned to deliver greater value to clients at scale and with consistency and speed. I, I go back to at the core of this, Jim, and I know we've talked about this a lot before, customers is at the dead center all the time. Right. Yeah. So Anthony, as you adopted this mindset of customer centricity and and you know that everyone is thinking in that way was there a point at which you started to say to yourself hey i think this might be successful can you share a success story or two one of the things we did to try to understand how effective were we being 
and having agility mean something to our teams in, in marketing. We rolled out a thing called the Agile Health Radar. And it was the ability to say, tell us how well it, it's going for you now that we've adopted this new way of working. And what was fascinating was that we did the feedback um, and we were able to capture it and understand if it came from a marketer, from a manager, or from an executive. We asked the same questions for eight dimensions, but we were able to see the results um, on those levels, right? So you could see how someone would score something as an executive versus a manager versus an employee. And it really taught us a lot. One of the success stories was learning how these teams valued um, success, what they described as success. And what's interesting is in a true agile fashion, it was unique. So while we are helping the business with larger shared metrics and KPIs, each team, because we did unique social contracts, had a way to describe their own set of what does success mean for that team. So while there's numbers they need to achieve, they might also look at, and how much better are we at working together? How much better are we at working with marketing or a brand or a product owner? And so they could de determine their own success metrics well beyond the performance metrics, right? Because now you've got a culture metric in there. Now you've got a morale metric in there. Now you've got the ability to, to change and, and for feedback to lead to change as a metric. These are ways to start understanding how you change the whole, not just the parts. And because we were able to do that at scale, the insights were remarkable. So we didn't just have the graphs and charts, we had the verbatims. So we could go back and say, oh, that's got to change or we need to do more of that. Because when you're this large with you know hundreds of teams, you're going to find that uh, let's say uh, say 50 teams all are accomplishing something basically the same way, but they don't know that because they don't talk. But because we see we've solved something at scale and a lot of people are doing it in a very similar way, we then can aggregate that learning and share that learning across. That was super powerful. And it only happened because we decided to say, what's it going to look like to leverage the mindset, principles, and values of Agile in marketing? And, and because of that, we had great data that helped us get so much better, so much faster. Another story would be uh, with the CMO cabinet. I was the coach for um, a chief marketing officer. And I remember a, an opportunity with the cabinet, which is her top you know, group of, of influencers and managers and all that around. And they were talking about, you know, what does it look like to really take, to go to the next level? You know, agile to the core was the phrase. And it wasn't about, doing stand-ups and having retrospectives. This was always the discussion I saw was, uh, well, we're, we're, we're doing stand-ups and we've got this team. Well, every team's doing retrospectives. I'm like, but is it better? Not are we doing the activities of Agile, but are we seeing the benefits of, of that? How do we measure the results of those activities? Are the activities successful? And it was a shift in the conversation away from how do you measure the activity to how do you understand the impact of the activity? And this then translates to everything else. Because when I go, well, what did it look like on this campaign? How did that campaign perform? Well, I have performance metrics and that's helpful. But my question is, did we even approach it the right way? Does the team feel confident that they're being heard? The, the challenges and the experiments they want to run are being allowed? You know, is it controlled or are they truly the ones with delegated authority and delegated responsibility? That's super helpful to know. Third story I would tell of success is I had a Philly team, uh, one of the, one of the Philadelphia teams, and and they had identified that there is a process where sellers 
So marketing would qualify, it'd get over, and we were working with some in-house accounts. So in addition to people coming to our website, we also had existing clients who would buy more. And so they would have customer success representatives to help them with that process. And so there's a marketing and sales combination there. And what we found was we were able to promote it really well. We were able to see high conversion rates. We were able to see people make that purchase. But because we built our own system to do that, that was literally software written to to facilitate this entire process behind the scenes, it had a bug in it. And everybody knew about the bug, but the solution was, well, the customer service representative will just go spend time solving that problem. Well, if you're in sales and you're acting as a support agent, that's not good. You don't wanna be a support agent, you wanna be a seller, right? You do wanna support the overall thing, but you don't wanna spend your time doing technical support or billing support. You actually wanna be helping them leverage the tool, learn how to use the tool better, and implement it greater across the organization. And so we said, well, how often does this happen? So what's great about this story is I didn't know about it until it was almost solved. So I went in the office, I was up traveling to Philly, and I, and I walked by, and I asked you know, some basic questions and they pointed this one out to me. I said, so what's this? Because they were tracking this thing and they had, it was very basic, but they just said, we're tracking how often each one of us has to do this every week. And so it was a simple little chart. So if it's, you know, Frank had one, Jim had two, Anthony had three. We know that in that week it took six times that it happened. And we said, well, how long does it take each time? And the answer was somewhere between 45 minutes to about an hour. You know, okay, so call that six hours. I'm not selling for those six hours. What is the cost of our salespeople? Like, so you start looking at that, then you look at the opportunity cost, and then you find out that, oh, the client is waiting on this product that they bought, and they're not getting it because this bug exists. So now you have, which means you can't invoice, right? So suddenly we're taking time, it's costing us money to do it. The client's not satisfied, the client can't get what they wanna buy, they can't even buy it. And so we had to solve that bug. Well, until this team decided to track that on their own and figure it out, no one knew the impact or the cost of that. And when we found out it was cha-ching plus huge hit with the clients, a little black eye because we can't get our own house in order for something that small. Long story short, in three weeks, it was solved. Right. And I found out about it two weeks ago. Why? Because the team had the autonomy to self-manage, self-direct, and then represent that as data, not just as an opinion, not just as a complaint, as data upline, and then say, we need someone to solve this. And because they had data around it and they had the, the, the actual cost metrics associated with it, it was an easy thing to say, uh, who's our developers that can fix this? And then boom, it got, because it was such an obvious thing. How often in marketing or sales do we have teams that they know what the problem is, but they can't get it fixed? Yeah. Well, usually it's because it's just a complaint, but we actually leverage the very way of working and agile ways of working to say, how do we understand the impact of our effort, not just the measurement of our effort? And that's the difference. Agile makes that so easy. So that's a great example, I think, Jim, of of how you can take the existing thing and empower a team to go figure things out. And oh my gosh, the stuff you'll solve will be greater than anything you could have imagined, I think. So coming back to customer centricity, right? But the customers in this case are your customers, your internal stakeholders mm -hmm. at IBM, mm -hmm. the marketers who are using Agile and the sales professionals who are using Agile. How do they know that they're being truly Agile? We captured it in, in a value statement. So we have a business value statement that we use all the time, which it's that our transformation is a mindset shift to help prioritize and visualize our highest value work 
to ruthlessly reduce or eliminate low value activities and continuously improve through deliberate feedback loops between teams, leaders, partners, and clients. We will accomplish this business agility transformation with an outcome-focused, client-centric, and data-driven approach. So the, the top, mindset, high-value work, eliminate uh, low-value work, and have feedback loops, those are the ways we would look at things to do or things to look at and try to understand and measure over time. How, how do we understand these things? And usually it's a barometer more than a thermometer. It's like the direction and rate of change rather than the actual number of something. But we measure those. And then how do we know we're successful? Well, our success criteria are at the very bottom. Outcome-focused, not output-focused. Client-centric, not business-centric. It's not about us. And then data-driven, not um, opinion-driven or, or executive insertion-driven. You know, I don't think there's anything with, wrong with an executive with their experience, knowledge, and insight and aspects uh, of availability to data. There's nothing wrong with a plan that comes from an executive. I just don't assume an executive is right. I assume it's true based on their knowledge, understanding. We should pay attention to it, but we should validate all of our work with the feedback loops through teams, leaders, partners, and clients so that we don't just say, is the strategy right? We actually ask, is the goal right? Is the destination right? So if I were to say, if you're, I'm going to oversimplify this. Let me, let me do an abstraction. If I say your job is to get to Chicago from Dallas, and I want to make sure that you do that by the end of the week, because we have, we think our market you know, there's a good market opportunity there. And we want you to really hit that market. And so we do a road trip. We know the budget. We know we can't spend more than we do a road trip. And we go up through Branson, Missouri and Springfield and Kansas City. And then we get to Chicago. And it turns out that on the road trip, man, we found amazing opportunities in Kansas City. Did we do what we needed to do in, in Chicago? Yeah. But what I don't want our executives to do, what I don't want people to do is say, did you do the thing? I don't care. What I care about is that the journey taught us something. So in the past, you would often say, here's your route, take 35 up, take it across on the, on the, on the 50, take the 50, like whatever, like there'd be a prescribed route. That's the way business used to run. It's very command and control. Today, I would say agile marketing, you know, you're being agile when it's more like a GPS. So if I say, what's the destination? And I type that in, we're going to use real-time data and indicators along the path to tell us the best route. And we're going to learn about the journey itself so that when we come back, we can say, well, here's what happened in Chicago. But what's more interesting is what if Chicago is not the best destination? What if, what if Kansas City is a better destination? So I don't just want them to tell me how we're performing on the thing that I told them to go do. I want them to tell me if we should even keep doing it. Because now that, that agility is not just delegated responsibility, it's delegated authority. And so you flatten the organization. You, you take all of the rank away for making decisions, and instead you make the rank about solving problems. So if I can't change that two pieces of software don't talk as a marketer, and I need that for my job, that's a great opportunity for a senior leader to go do something and, and take care of that. Because it's not going to happen with me. It's not going to happen with my manager or their boss. It's going to happen way up towards the top because that's a big decision that probably requires quite a bit so i want us to say not how do they tell us what to do how do we tell them what we need that's agility and i want to see that level of authority down so that the people doing the work are positioned to deliver and create the most value you know anthony that's interesting because it also requires that executives give us context right that they say yep. I want you to go to Chicago because, you know, what's the why of going to Chicago? Because there are these accounts there and we believe that we can get, sure. you know, so that 
if we come to Kansas City, we can we have enough context to make a decision whether to stay in Kansas City or go on to Chicago or whatever it is, right? Correct, which means you need a, a model above your Agile piece. So Agile is about the way you work. I leverage OKRs to be my management system right. for saying, do we have that clarity and alignment? And do I understand my why? And then my when? And then my where? And then my what? Right. But the what's at the bottom of that list, right? It's not about, did you do a thing? If If I tell this story too many times, I apologize, but I remember in sales, I had a seller come to me and say, hey, look, I made two, 200 calls this week. I made 200 calls last week. Isn't that great? And I said, I don't know how many leads you generate. Well, none, but I made 400 calls. I'm like, so I would rather you have made 30, 40, 50 calls, realize that's not working and question why. And then maybe go to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator or pop on and do an email campaign or go to Marketo and look at something. Like, figure out something other than the thing that's not working. Don't double down on what's not working because the activity, I said, doesn't matter. I don't pay you to make calls. We pay you to generate leads. Will you make phone calls to generate leads? Yeah, probably. Is the point the phone call? No. So in marketing, we would have the same thing. You could probably build landing pages and you're probably going to have some social media marketing and you're probably going to have ad spend. You should do those things. Is that the point? No. If they don't generate a reasonable ROI, a good outcome, a learning from that, why would you keep doing what's not working? Anthony, one last question. You were an early member of the Agile Marketing Alliance, right? So yep. what motivated you to get involved? So I love learning is probably the number one answer, Jim. I, I think that if I'm ever around people who have experiences I don't have, I want to soak that up. And I know, you know, you invited me and I know you. And so it was easy that regard. But it was also, I saw some other people there and I went, okay, I'm interested. And then I got more interested. And then I was like, oh, I'm all in on this because this is a group of people willing to ask hard questions and not just do this typical, how do I do X? Why do I do Y that you could find on Google? This was the, where does the rubber meet the road? And how do I know that's going to help me in my career and help me take something back to my organization and my teams? And I find that. So being able to share and contribute, which I love to do, is great. But I think learning is the main reason for me to be there. And I love learning from others who are on similar journeys, but at different parts of that journey or a different paths of that journey. But we all benefit from that shared knowledge. I believe that a rising tide really does lift all the boats. And so I want to go where the boats are rising. And the Agile Marketing Alliance is where I can do that for this portion of my career. Thanks for sharing your story today. You know, it's always great to hear how people are trying to make agile work in the real world and people who are active in this space and thinking beyond just the task at hand, but thinking about where it's going and how it's going all together. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today as well. You can check out the show notes for this episode as well as old episodes of the Marketing Agility Podcast at agilemarketingblog.com. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe. We're still on iTunes. And please do stop by the Agile Marketing Alliance website at agilemarketingalliance.com. If you're not a member, take a minute and join and join the conversation. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us and please stay agile.